Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Bible Breakdown. Um, We have been in a period where we've been talking about um, some stories in Acts. Last week, we talked about just kind of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in general. So we we took a little bit from Pentecost in Acts 2, but really just wanted to kind of shape the whole narrative of how the Holy Spirit is going to be working in Acts and just having that through the lens of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Um, and we're going to get to see in our story today an example of the Holy Spirit moving mightily in some of the apostles. So uh, today's story is going to be out of Acts 3 and 4. So we're going to talk a little bit about the story not going to read verse by verse just because it is a pretty long passage, but we're going to be talking about a story where Peter and John encounter a man who can't walk and he's healed. We're going to see a couple of very powerful messages from Peter and just some of the uh, fallout from that. And then really want to finish up by discussing really how we see this transformation in Peter by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to discuss that, especially in light of what we talked about on the last one with the role and the ministry of the spirit. And then also just want to share kind of a very, a personal um, application for all of us. And that's really just about the power of story as we're going to see a lot of this narrative is centered around this story of what Peter and John encountered with the man who couldn't walk. So we are going to be starting in acts three and I'm going to start off by reading um, starting in verse one. Um, And then I'm going to read through verse 8. So it says in in chapter 3 of Acts, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So basically, Peter and John, uh, they are headed up to the temple um, during an hour of prayer. Um, Remember that in chapter two, Peter gives this very powerful sermon um, empowered by the spirit and 3000 people come to believe in Jesus for the first time. So you have to imagine Peter and John feeling pretty confident right now. I mean, we're talking about a, a sermon that may be unparalleled in human history in terms of it's uh, the amount of people who just start flocking to Jesus. So, Um, you see that they're continuing in this boldness um, and in this uh, way of being spirit-led because I'm sure that this beggar was not the only one at the gate. I'm sure it's not the only time they'd seen a beggar, but clearly there was something about him that caught the attention of Peter and John. And I have to think that that was uh, a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, So Peter looks at him. And if you talk to anybody who kind of and this is kind of a side note, but if you talk to anybody who works in any sort of like homeless ministry or discipleship, one of the things that is very rare for a person who is uh, panhandling or is otherwise homeless, people rarely look at them, look them in the eye. So for Peter to do this, and you can see this guy, he thinks, oh, he's looking at me. He must be willing to give me something. 
Um, but really what we see is Peter is just really giving him that human dignity. And just, I don't know, just a little side note to consider um, as we, we think about, you know, there are people in our world, obviously, in this kind of similar situation. And, you know, what do we do to give them even just human dignity, even if it's not to give them money or whatever they want, um, just the dignity that is given here as they look at him and he said, hey, look at us. We're people. We're, we're both created in the image of God. Side note. So um, he looks at him. He says, I know what you want. I know you want money. I don't have it. But what I do have, I give to you. And this guy's going to be pretty happy, I think, with what he gets. So Peter tells him to rise up and walk. And he takes him by the hand, lifts him up. And it's not just that he gets up and he starts wobbling semi-successfully toward wherever he's going. Um, this guy, it says his feet and ankles are made strong. And then he starts leaping up. He's walking and he's walking, leaping and praising God. So this guy is not just like, oh, wow, he's sort of walking for the first time. He's healed miraculously as if he'd never been lame. Um, so there clearly we see just an awesome miracle. Um, it would be a miracle if the guy could hardly walk when he got up because um, he hadn't been able to walk at all. Um, but just the joy that you see in him and the ability to run around and, and leap um, shows how just what a powerful, undeniable miracle this is. Um, anyone who would have seen this would not have been able to, uh, wouldn't have been able to say, oh, they staged that or that, that wasn't really what happened. And we also see in uh, verse 10, it says that people recognized him as a person who had um, been a beggar. So um, they, the people who saw this guy knew something spectacular had happened to him. So what Peter does here, um, he uses this as an opportunity to go into his next sermon. So we just saw one in chapter two. Um, so he starts off by saying, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. So basically, he starts out his sermon by saying, don't look at us as if we're doing this because we're really holy. Um, we're doing this through the power of the God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the one, and here's kind of his segue into what he's going to be talking about, is who glorified his servant Jesus. So he's basically using that as a kind of an intro. And I can't help but think that his introduction here is a little better than his introduction at his Pentecost sermon, where his introduction is, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. So important, but uh, I think he, I think he did better the second time um, kind of, jumped in there with the theology instead of making a point about why the guys weren't drunk. I mean, I guess it was helpful because some people were talking like maybe they're drunk. Um, somebody should probably alert Peter that people get drunk at the third hour of the day fairly regularly, but that is neither here nor there. He's, he's going strong with his introductory material, this image, this uh, illustration, it's working. So um, he jumps right into um, this story. And really in the story that he tells in this kind of sermon he gives to the people around, he talks about how um, the things that happened, the things that um, with Jesus, they really are related to these huge figures in Israelite history. He says this is related to what God promised to Abraham when he said, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
Um, he relates it to a prophet that Moses prophesied about. So prophecy about a prophet, a little bit of inception there. Um, but he's connecting it to these heroes of the faith and saying, this Jesus that you were ignorant of is the one that they were talking about. So um, he kind of gives them a little bit of an out. So we're looking in verse 17 when I'm talking about the ignorance here. It says in verse 17, it says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So he basically lets them know, like, hey, you and your rulers delivered Jesus over to Pilate, um, but it's okay. You did it in ignorance. Um, obviously, the Christ is going to have to suffer because that's what God foretold. So he's telling them that, you know, they he's kind of giving them a little bit of a pass by saying they're ignorant. Um, though he's leaving out a little bit of a detail that um, I think would have given him some humility points. Let's th- see if we can think of any time in Peter's life where maybe he was a little ignorant. Ah, <gasps> oh, I found it. In Matthew, um, Jesus is explained to his disciples about what's going to happen. So this is um, in Matthew. forgot to write down the chapter, but starting in verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So, um, and that's from Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 21 through 23. So Peter's explaining to these people how they had been so ignorant and it was okay, but you know, he could have probably mentioned to them, like, oh, by the way, I kind of thought similarly at one point. Um, whereas here he kind of makes it seem like God foretold that his Christ would suffer. Um, but Peter had the same difficulty when Jesus was telling him that he'd have to suffer. He said, no, that could never happen. So um, that's kind of a pretty typical Peter moment, though. Peter's really breaking the mold here um, in acts of kind of what we see in the Gospels. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more um, after we're done walking through the story. Um, But so he tells this, he's telling the story and he's basically saying, um, Jesus is the the Christ, the one that you've been waiting for, the one that um, was foretold about Abraham's offspring, the one, the prophet that Moses foretold of. Um, And in verse 26, he says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he's preaching about Jesus um, kind of as a result of this interest that they've garnered from healing this man who um, who was lame. And so as we move into chapter four, um, apparently some people in the temple got wind of what was going on over there in the Solomon's portico. And they come up and they're greatly annoyed. Verse two, chapter four, verse two, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, the group that's coming up to them is the Sadducees. And remember, they're kind of the political, religious, political slash religious opponents of the Pharisees. Um, the Sadducees, they one of their defining theological markers is they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus is persona non grata with the Sadducees as he did raise from the dead and disprove them. So 
Um, the Sadducees don't want the disciples spreading that kind of uh, information um, around their people. Um, from a political standpoint, the Sadducees were kind of also um, kind of Roman sympathizers in a way. It was more they were like, let's just try to live with the Romans and not try to um, upset and try not to upset them. Um, you could think of them as very like they were very much cultural um, Jews in some ways. They kind of assimilated to uh, Roman culture in terms of what they uh, maybe would would believe or, or do. So the Sadducees, um, not the most theologically sound group. And you can see they didn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead in general, let alone um, with Jesus. So they come up and they arrest them and uh, they take them before this council um, in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're asking like, Hey, like, how did this happen? They say, by what power or by what name do you do this? Verse seven. And so Peter tells them, um, that basically they were able to do it because of the power of Jesus Christ. And he goes on, he, you crucified, God raised from the dead. Um, and so he gives this kind of very um, specific reason why they were able to do this. And the people in the, this council, this um, council of judgment are um, really surprised because they see that these guys seem to know what they're talking about and are speaking eloquently. Peter's quoting a lot of scripture in these two little sermons. And it says uh, in verse 13, it says they perceived they were uneducated common men and that they were astonished. So they recognize that like given their station, they should not have been able to um, speak so eloquently or speak so powerfully, um, especially probably in terms of um, just their knowledge of uh, the Old Testament and of prophecy. And so um, they hear this and they tell them, don't spread this anymore. Um, and in verse 19, just a really great refrain for us. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so they continue threatening them, um, but they leave and um, they're really just excited about what God's done. They're not so much worried uh, afraid of what's going to happen at the hands of this uh, council in the future or the, um, the religious leaders, um, but they're just excited for what God has been doing through them. So um, I just love that, how they end. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Just that, um, just that ability to be, to stand firm in the face of difficulty, that ability to say, this is what God would have us do. And we're not going to, stop doing it just because you don't like it or you've told us not to. Um, and they say, you, you have to judge for yourself whether God would have us do, us, do this or not, but we're just going to tell you everything that we've, we've seen and that we've heard. Um, so just a lot of, of boldness there from the apostles. And given the circumstances, I just really, and kind of given what we talked about last week with just the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, just really want to talk to you about, uh, just Peter and really his development over the last, uh, over the, the scripture really from, as we go from the gospels into acts. Um, so Peter in this story is really kind of a, an example of good things to do, right? He's, um, he's preaching boldly. Um, he's standing up in the face of opposition. He's speaking the truth. He's giving all credit, um, to, Jesus saying that everything he did, not by my power, it's only because of Jesus that I'm able to do this. Um, this is the same Peter 
who, I mean, as we already talked about, he's the one trying to stop Jesus from doing his mission that he has had planned since before the beginning of time for redemption. He's saying, no, no, that plan of redemption is no good, Jesus. We got to do it this way. Um, This is the same Peter who gets a little overly excited. And um, when Jesus is washing his feet, he's like, well, well, wash my head and the rest of me too. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, we don't need to do that. Um, This is the same Peter who um, is possibly one who uh, was violent to some of those trying to arrest Jesus. Um, This is the same Peter who, when um, he was waiting outside while Jesus was um, being questioned, um, that people recognize him, that, hey, weren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? Denies him three times, um, is utterly broken. That's the Peter we're kind of familiar with, the one who speaks quickly, um, the one who honestly has a little bit of cowardice in him, um, if not a lot of uh, passion. And oftentimes when we talk about Peter in the Gospels, we're talking about him as like a counterexample. And I think a lot of times we really love reading about Peter because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. Because I'm like, I could have seen myself doing that. It's nice to know that a guy like Peter also did that since we kind of know the end of his story. But really what we're starting to see in Acts that we didn't see in the Gospels is just this really coming into his own of Peter. And I don't want for a second for it to sound like I'm chalking this up to Peter's personal maturity or anything like that. What we see in Acts, in Peter specifically in this story, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Everything that Jesus has promised that the helper, he calls him the the helper, he says, I'll send the helper to you, the counselor, um, all talking about the Holy Spirit when he's telling the disciples that he's, when he leaves, he's going to be sending the Holy Spirit. All of these things are coming to to fruition that Jesus had promised the disciples. He, they've received power. He, he shares that in Acts 20. He tells them you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They're doing miracles um, in the name of Jesus. Um, he tells them that the, the Spirit is going to recall to mind the things that Jesus taught. Um, you see them doing that as they, they teach the crowd. And then in some other less maybe specific ways, we just see the boldness that Peter and John and the other disciples have here, this is not a human boldness. This is not a boldness that is just born out of maturity over one event. This is clearly the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And just knowing that this person who was a fisherman stumbled along in his ministry to Jesus, even though he had um, just an incredible love for Jesus that you can't deny, um, just the maturity that is coming, the the boldness, um, the fortitude, Things that we, that the wisdom, that these things that we didn't see in Peter before, we're now seeing um, now that he's received the Holy Spirit. And that should be a great comfort to us that the same Holy Spirit that indwelled the early apostles is indwelling us too. And I think that we, we kind of know from reading and from our own experience that some of the things that happen in Acts aren't what we would consider a normal uh, Christian life. Um, there's not a lot of us who have experienced Uh, miraculous healings, like a person who can't walk, being able to walk. Uh, I do believe that miracles still happen, but this is definitely a unique uh, time in Christian history and in church history. But uh, what we, what has not changed at all is that it's the same spirit that dwelt in Peter and John and Stephen that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks um, that dwells in us as believers. And that should really give us a lot of hope. And I think that the biggest hope is really that Regardless of the sinfulness, regardful of the bad habits, the silliness that gets in the the way for us personally, 
the Holy Spirit's redeeming that. And he's, he's working even in the midst of that, even as, as we walk as imperfect people, the Holy Spirit is still able to use us. Um, and not only that, but we're also being transformed. Those, those bad habits, hopefully as we're submitting to what the Holy Spirit's doing in us, those, those bad habits are becoming less prominent. And those good qualities, that fruit of the spirit that we talked last week, the, the fruit that the spirit produces in us, hopefully those are becoming more evident. The sinfulness in us is becoming less evident. Um, and we walk through ebbs and flows with that in our faith, but we have to take heart to know that whenever we're being called to something, um, whether that seems really small, like, oh, I should uh, say good morning to the neighbor as I walk by him uh, on my on my walk in the morning. Maybe you just feel really impressed that you should do that and you act in faithfulness for that. Or it's something big, like I think God's calling me to, uh, leave my current career and, and go to one uh, to a different one so I can serve him better. Uh, any, and anywhere on that spectrum, if God's calling you to it, he's already provided the power source, and that's the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the Spirit has been brought into our lives to guide us, to empower us, and really to um, transform us. And it's just so important for us to realize that because we can feel really frail sometimes. And we are really frail sometimes and we and of in and of ourselves are frail all the time but it's um we have this treasure in clay jars we though we are flesh um, though we are passing away um we have this this gospel hope that we can share and we have the spirit to empower us we're capable of doing what god's calling us to do um that doesn't mean i can lift 500 pounds straight over my head just because i think that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe not. Maybe God's not calling you to do that. I'd encourage you to be really sure if you do think God is calling you to that. Um, but if God's calling you to it, he's already provided the the resources that we need. Um, we have the spirit. We have uh, scripture. We have fellowship of believers. Um, we have the hope of the gospel at our disposal. So that's a pretty good tool belt. Batman is jealous. Uh, and the second thing that I want to talk about kind of as we apply this um, is just really the power of a story. Um, I think that when we look at scripture and we see parables, we see narratives, um, I'm sure you have kind of your favorite Bible story that really just kind of fills you up with those those good feelings. Like um, one for me, um, and I think probably for a lot of people, the prodigal son, doesn't that just fill you with lots of good feelings when you think about how God's love is like the love of the father showed to his son, even though... He went and he wasted his inheritance. He came back, um, tail between his legs, that the father sees him, not just sees him when he shows up, knocks on the front door, but sees him when he was a long way off. He had his eyes out looking for him. Um, just stories like that, that just really touch us on a, on a profound level. Um, stories are powerful. And I believe that that is not, um, I believe that is a creation uh, of God, that God has created us as creatures who respond to story. And we see, in, as Jesus taught, even how he used parables, and then we read a story about him sharing a parable. It's like a story within a story. There's just something really powerful about stories. And we see in this uh, little epic here that Peter uses this story, which is a, an amazing story. Don't get me wrong. He's healing a man who couldn't walk, um, to, and now he's leaping and praising God. It's an amazing story. But he's using that story not as an end in of itself, um, but he... He shares that story in order to give glory to God. And he shares that story as an opportunity 
to share the gospel because it got a lot of the people's attention. Um, it, when they found out what had happened, they said, we need to listen to these people. And most of us probably don't have a r- miraculous story of this nature um, where it's something that r- is you know, really obvious. Um, but I know that all of you have stories that have profoundly impacted you and that have been clear works of, of God in your life. Um, that one of the best things about living in a postmodern culture, um, one that is generally skeptical of the Bible, is that um, if no one typically is going to denounce your experience, that's one of the kind of the tenets of postmodernism is your experience is your experience. And we see the negative of that sometimes when we think about um, maybe absolute truth is not maybe held in high regard, but experience and story both are held in high regard in our culture. So even in the midst of a time when we could say it's not, it's not as easy to share with people about the truths of the Bible because people just don't maybe believe in the Bible like they used to, or don't know the Bible like they used to. It's such an opportunity still that we have to, to explain the stories um, that have happened to us. And also um, there's nothing against using a story from scripture um, as well as another example, but think about a time in your life when maybe one of those like watershed moments, one of those times when you just knew that God was behind whatever was happening to you. Whenever you were in some difficulty um, and you just felt the Lord's comfort as you walked through that, Um, when you, saw a huge change in your life um, based on, you know, an event that happened to you and how it's, it's worked out. There are things that have happened to, to all of us that we can use as opportunities to share the gospel. And they may be things you consider really big. Um, they may be things that you consider really small, but when we can share with somebody something personally that's happened to us, that's, that's our testimony. That's our witness. Um, it happened to us. No one can can contradict your experience and how you experienced it um, because it was something that you went through personally. Using that as an opportunity for the gospel. Um, I'll give an example. I, uh, in high school, I think something that I really struggled with was just a lot of just inward focus. I was just so concerned about me, me, me that I kind of lost a little bit of my perspective on other people. And I had a friend who went through just a really difficult time with um, depression and suicide. Um, the uh, struggle with uh, like suicidal thoughts and things like that. And when they shared that with me, I feel like the Lord just absolutely broke me and helped me realize how I'd been so focused on myself and my own issues that there was huge important things going on around me that I was totally unaware of and that he was calling me to um, intervene and to be a part of. Um, and that really set me on a, a course of really trying to care for others, think about the feelings of others around me. And I know that this is just, that's just a small example, but that's to me, um, one of those watershed moments that just totally made a huge change in my life. And I know you have moments like that as well. And you have the opportunity to share that, um, with other people and use it as an opportunity to say, in and of myself, I could not have walked through that situation. I, I believe that God helped me, empowered me, used me in that situation, um, rescued me in that situation. Um, and it's all because of what he's done through Jesus. And I see that perfect love of God, that perfect work of God and what he did through Jesus. And it's just such a great segue. And we see it in this story 
um, that this miraculous healing is really turned as an opportunity to bring glory to God. Um, so that's kind of what I want to leave you with just as we, as we walk out of this, the, the power of the Holy spirit in us, just like it was in Peter, the power of story, um, just like Peter used it, um, for God's glory. Um, these are things that are accessible to us as believers. We have stories, we have the Holy spirit. Um, there's no reason that we can't be sensitive to what God's calling us to do to use what experiences he's brought us through to bring him glory and ultimately hopefully get to share the gospel with other people. So uh, thanks for taking the time today uh, to listen and really just enjoy getting to walk through this passage of scripture. Uh, hope you uh, learned something and hope that this lesson will impact you personally, even as um, we share it with kids and we'll be praying that God also uses it to impact them personally um, and ultimately just for his glory. Thanks.